Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Lauren Conlon back on the show. She recently co-authored a paper with Bill Campbell called Flexible versus Rigid Dieting in resistance-trained individuals seeking to optimize their physiques, a randomized controlled trial. This is a really, really cool study, and we get in deep into the weeds of if it fits your macros, flexible dieting, restrictive dieting, and the like. And I think some really valuable takeaways will be had during this discussion. As always, guys, if you think someone might benefit from listening to our podcast, if you enjoy the podcast, leave us a review, leave us a comment, a thumbs up, all that good stuff, depending on the platform you're listening to. Share it with your friends. But without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have Lauren Conlin back on the podcast for a one-on-one kind of session this time around, uh, not with the other girls, but uh, we're talking about a paper that was recently published uh, and Lauren was heavily involved with. And it's great because it was it's open access and she was in on that with Bill Campbell, who a lot of the listeners will know. So the good news is with it being open access is you can kind of open it up, we'll have it linked and you can kind of follow along or do do what you like. Uh, and the, the title of that uh, paper was Flexible versus Rigid Dieting in Resistance Trained Individuals Seeking to Optimize Their Physiques a randomized controlled trial. So uh, yeah, very applicable to a lot of the people listening because I know some of the research kind of hadn't been on the population we're kind of very much interested in. So it's really great to have had that. Uh, So my first kind of question comes in as like, what made you want to do this study in the first place? I thought that'd be a a great place to start. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you again for having me on. I'm so excited uh, to talk about this. And yeah, this this paper is my baby. I uh, This was my grad school research. And uh, so, you know, pretty much my entire program is what we were doing this, right? So um, it's great that we finally got it published and we can get into kind of why it took so long, but um, why I wanted to do this. So I, I got to grad school. Um, I was, you know, all excited, like wanted to do research, but I didn't know really what I wanted to do. Um, and then at, you know, Dr. Campbell was my advisor. And so we sat down, me, him and Lane. Um, this was at the end of 2014. And so we said, what, you know, what would be interesting and to do? And we just kind of started throwing some ideas around and um, kind of landed on this, like nobody's looked at a meal plan versus macros. And this was very much, and I always try to tell people like, like it's 2021, which is very different life than 2014, as far as IFYM meal plans, that whole kind of thing. Like I would say between 2013 to 2015 was the absolute like reckoning in the industry of like, if you follow a meal plan, like you're a stupid bro and that whole kind of concept. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, if you're, if you're doing steady state cardio and you're not doing hit, like you don't even science, like that whole kind of mindset was like so prolific. And also that was kind of as social media, like, especially Instagram was like really taking off. So there yeah. was just like a lot going on in that time frame, Right. And, um, so we just thought, why don't we look at this? Like nobody has looked at this. And, and even, you know, I was talking to Campbell about this on, on our podcast recently. And he was like, I was very skeptical. Like, he's like, you were the person who introduced me to like flexible dieting and this whole thing. Like, he's like, is this really like a thing? Like, he's like, whatever, we'll do a research project on it. Like, cool. So that was really my intention was I had been competing for a few years. Uh, I had known some of the people heavily involved in, you know, emerging that community, Dr. Joe, um, Lane, all those people, right? So it's like, okay, this seems like everything that everybody's doing, why don't we study it? And uh, of course, understandable that this is, at the time, 
my lens was a lot more narrow than it is now, right? Because, you know, you're still new in the process and you're learning a lot of things. And I just thought, oh, okay, it would be cool to look at these two things head on. But really I learned so many more things that are actually applicable to everybody, not just people who are tracking macros or not. So it was actually a really cool project when I was able to detach from it afterwards. Um, but that was really, it. The, the, the intent was all we hear about is how meal plans are bad. Um, this flexible dieting thing seems like it's taken off. And the thing with research is you can't just be like, I want to do this study. Like, you know, it has to get approved. It has to go through the whole process. And there has to be a reasoning behind it. And because there hadn't been a study that it looked at this, I pretty much had to say, well, let me pull some of the literature that is applicable, meld it together, and then present it as like a, hey, is this a legitimate study? Let's create the methods and, and all of that. So I took from a few places, and one of the first places that I looked at, um, which is still very applicable today, is the idea of weight regain. And I was very interested in that because at the time, like I said, I had started competing. I had just finished my undergrad. I had started coaching people. So I was kind of in the mix of all this and understanding, okay, it's not just about the diet. It's what happens afterwards, right? And we were hearing, again, this horror stories of, oh my God, I followed this meal plan and then I just binged for two years and now I'm here, right? Like not really understanding that it necessarily wasn't the meal plan, but we can get to that. <laughs> so anyways, looking at it as like, all right, well, there's something to this weight regain thing. So trying to pull together some of the weight regain literature, um, yo-yo dieting, and then pulling together some of, at the time that I falsely thought, um, looking at dietary restraint as like flexible or rigid. And, you know, when you think of flexible dieting, that, that seemed very flexible in comparison to a meal plan, right? Um, so it was like, all right, this is flexible restraint versus rigid restraint. So we're kind of putting all of these things together. And that was really how we started. And yeah. <laughs> it, it's super interesting to me because when you describe like that 2013 to 2015 kind of time period, that's when I, I competed for the first time in 2014, but I really got into finding people like Lane, uh, sorry, yeah, Lane, uh, but La McDonald, Alan Aragon, okay. and coming across flexible dieting through them for, for like bodybuilding.com. I think that was like the forum I found it all on. And I, I hated it at that time as well. I was like, no, like these are my foods. This is what creates results. But yeah. actually it's what allowed me to do the thing uh, because I was like, just honestly was like, I don't know if I can continue to just eat so restrictively long-term. I, I couldn't make bodybuilding a lifestyle. And as soon as I learned more about flexible dieting, that like opened up everything. And I was like, oh, now I can actually live this life. I can go traveling or I can eat out or what have you. And I can have these, this toolkit basically to, to do these. And like you said, um, my understanding of it has come a lot further and my relationship with food has changed. Uh, and kind of the way I apply that has changed as well. But it's crazy to see like, yeah, the, the beginnings there and then this paper coming out and where you came uh, at it from as well. So uh, it's, yeah, it's really cool to hear the backstory of everything. And it's still applicable now because there's still people who are finding it now. It's just a lot more mainstream now. Yeah. It's not so shocking. Like, oh my gosh, there's this study that's looking at macros or, or uh, meal plan, right? And then of course the whole idea of like restraint, like how it's either flexible or rigid, like what, what type of diet does that apply to? So it's still very, very applicable. It's just when I want people to, to appreciate like when, like, why we did this that way, because that was just a very different time in the literature um, and just kind of in the, I guess, the industry, I guess you could say, right? Yeah. 
Should we go over like the specifics of what yeah. you did? Uh, yeah, what you did specifically, what like the number of weeks, like what was yeah. the, the one group doing, the other group doing? <laughs> the nitty gritty. So it was a pretty long study. Um, I'm very, um, I, w- I wanted it to be as long as we could make it, right? Because I wanted to look at, like I said, not just weight loss, I wanted to look at weight regain. So that was a really crucial part for me. Um, but understandable in academia, you have to really look at the restraints around it. So, you know, we're at a university, we're getting a lot of people who either university students or aged, um, or just in general have lives, you know, so if you're not paying subjects, you're not going to come back for a year, (laughs) like, you know, like, there has to be a time course to this. So um, there was a two week baseline period where we were gathering the data, we were testing everybody. And then there was a 10 week diet and a 10 week post diet. And I'm under no delusions that a 10 week diet is going to create all of this havoc on somebody. It's, It's not. But again, we also have to remove our lens of thinking, okay, it might not be for a competitor, but for somebody who maybe is just starting, that could be a long time for them to be really consistent, right? So I still think it's an applicable amount of time. Um, but anyways, 10-week diet, 10-week post-diet. So what we did was we did baseline testing. We did mid-diet, so five weeks in. At the end of the diet, 10 weeks in. And then five weeks into the post-diet, five weeks into the, I mean, 10 weeks into the post-diet. So five different testing periods. Um, and what we did was we split the two groups randomly into either a meal plan or macros. So the meal plan did have options. So it wasn't like the horror show, you know, five foods from, you know, an online coach who has no education, but it was still a meal plan, you know, Hey, here's a few options and this is what you have to eat. Um, and then the macro group was here are your macros and here's an ebook on how to track macros. Cause we couldn't give that group more attention because that would obviously bias the results. Um, so we had to say, Hey, you know, sorry, because there was definitely people who, and that's, that is of course a drawback when you do something that's randomized, right? Because there were people in both groups who didn't want to be in those groups, Yeah. but ultimately you then are self-selecting people to be in a group where they're going to thrive if you don't randomize it. So there's always going to be issues no matter what research. So kind of had to chalk it up to like, we need to make it randomized um, based on fat mass was actually what we did because we were looking at body comp changes. So there wasn't one group that started at a very different body comp than the other. That is how we randomized the two. So we start the diet. Um, they were on, we had like a, a three tier system. So what we wanted to do for most people was a 25% caloric reduction from their, um, their suggested maintenance calories. And how we looked at that was two days during the week, one day weekend dietary recall. Um, So what we looked at was either, okay, 25% reduction of that, or if there was a big mismatch between their RMR or their reported calories, we took 15% off of their RMR. And then if there was a big distinction between either of those, we capped it at 1200. And there was only two people who we had to do that for where both of those measures were below. Um, But just for IRB reasons, they were like really on our ass about like, they thought the whole 25% reduction was like this crazy diet. Like y'all have no idea. idea. (laughs) But again, in, in, this is not a, this is not a bodybuilding population. These people had to be a certain age. Um, It was males and females and it was a certain age, but they also had to have a year of resistance training experience, but they were by no means like, you know, like you coming into the study, like, you know, you're doing all these shows and all this, like, it's not like that. Yeah. Um, But they were resistance trained individuals. Um, So we were looking at different body composition measures. So we used ultrasound and um, calipers for, um, you know, body fat, muscle or lean body mass, sorry, 
lean body mass, um, fat mass. And then um, we also did RMR. And then we did a psychological questionnaire, which is called the three-factor eating questionnaire or the eating inventory, um, which is pretty well known in that type of uh, eating behavior type of research. So we did that at three time points. Um, and then we also did salivary leptin, which we basically, there weren't enough changes um, to really see a difference. It was a total waste of $2,000. So don't ever do that. Um, salivary cortisol is, is pretty solid. Um, but the changes in leptin, it was either they weren't robust enough, or there wasn't a robust enough change in our population. Um, or it, it, there was a lot of reasons. Uh, we just didn't have the budget for um, getting blood work done, which would have right. been really like, looking back, that would have been rad to get that. Um, but of course, you know, operating on a small budget with, you know, research, you have to do what you have to do. Um, so that's what we looked at. And we looked at those all different time periods. So the 10 week diet was this reduction. Um, we did set protein um, at two grams per kilogram, and then we split the rest 50, 50 between carbs and fat. So it was about like a third, like about 30 ish percent for each group. Like it was, you know, 33% or so. So it was a pretty balanced, well-rounded diet. Um, but we didn't want to keep protein high, of course. And then for the post diet, we just said, do whatever you want, but please come back. <laughs> that was all we said. Like, I don't care what you do. You can keep dieting. You can eat everything in sight. You can go to maintenance. You can do whatever. Yeah. And that was really what I was mostly interested about was just to see if there were any differences in there. Um, so that's kind of everything that we looked at. And uh, it was it was a lot because <laughs> at the time it was just me, um, one of the girls who was in the undergrad, my lab assistant, Danielle, um, and then Campbell. And that was, you know, we had an intern every once in a while help, um, but it was us. And there's so many things now that I know about like scheduling and all this stuff that like would have been really useful at that point but we just yeah. didn't have that and uh, so it was it was a grind and I was actually prepping through that so that was, oh wow that was, yeah it was it was a brutal like that there was a few blocks where it was just like madness because the week of testing was I mean it was just it was just nuts you know five to eleven so you got to get there at like 4 30 set everything up that like the whole deal like it was just like a lot and it was always the first and the last appointments were always people who like didn't show up so you'd get there you'd be like half dead and you're like waiting for the 5 a.m appointment they just like don't show up and you're like yeah. great this is so great <laughs> um but it was it was totally worth it I, I loved it and um you know, there's a few things that I would have changed, obviously, looking back, but that's that's everything, right? <laughs> I think it's really cool, though, at least it's not like you were doing like, like you said, like the really, really strict meal plans. It was like a, like you might call it a flexible meal plan or a rotational meal plan or something. But mm -hmm. uh, and then the other individuals, whether or not they, they may have had some understanding of macros or whatever, but they have the ebook to try and learn. So yeah. it's, it's really cool to kind of know that that was like the two groups uh, out of interest did you have any kind of expectations to what you thought you would find before we go into what you actually found yeah so i, I mean at the time I, I was trying to be i mean i was very open of course and like i said i was i was new into to all of this but i had just seen you know when you see the same thing over and over again you think that you're going to see it kind of everywhere and for me all i kept seeing was same response over and over again with people with inquiries with whatever oh this meal plan ruined me i have this terrible relationship with food um flexible dieting saved my life like, like all this really dramatic stuff but you're seeing all this and you're like oh this this is probably going to be better right and i but i realized you know this is this is research and and i you know need to be totally unbiased and i'm i'm excited to see fucking anything to be super like i'm just excited to see what we could find but i knew i wanted to ask people kind of like what was going on and 
we'd have each person for like an hour, right? Because I'm doing like a lot of, lot of stuff on them. And so I would just ask, you know, and I, I, when I was talking with Campbell about this, I was like, man, I really wish, this is one of the things I really wish you would have done was create just, you know, you, you can't add too much, right? We're already doing a lot and people are yeah. like, Hey, don't want to fill out this fucking questionnaire and spit in this tube and then do this. Like there was a lot we were doing, right? Like just sit in this mask for 20 minutes for the RMR. <laughs> so you can only do so much, but I would have loved to just have like just a few questions, like on like a Likert scale, like one to five, yeah. you know, um, just asking them their feelings about everything because I was asking those questions, but of course we couldn't publish that because it wasn't anything that was like standardized or, or whatever. So I was just asking, Hey, I was going, you know, are you liking the diet? Are you, are you not liking, like, where are you struggling? And what I started to recognize was this very varied response, you know, right. Where everybody at that time I was hearing, whether it was clients, people in the industry, flex what I'm the best thing ever. Oh my God, I hate meal plans. I started hearing these people. I love this meal plan. I'm like, yeah. I'm like doing the body fat, trying to like not look surprised. I'm like, oh. <laughs> really? And they're like, I love it. I'm learning like portions. I'm understanding like what foods I should be choosing. And I'm like, this is interesting. And then, uh, you know, there was a lot of people who were in the macro group who were like, fuck this. And I was like, whoa. And they were like, I I hate this. I can't stand it. This is so complicated. And you know, all the stuff that we hear kind of push back when people are first starting. And I was like, this is interesting. And then vice versa. I had people who were in the meal plan group who were like, I can't wait to track macros again. This sucks. And then there were people in the, the meal plan group who, uh, I mean, in the, the flexible dieting group who were like, yeah, I, I like this, this is fine. Like, so there was a very wide, very varied responses. But at that point, you know, if somebody had asked me in 2014 or 2015, like, what should I be eating? I'd be like, you should be tracking macros, like to everybody. I was just going to say that to everybody because that was what seemed to be the best approach, right? And this really made me recognize like, no, you're stupid. Like, <laughs> this is not for everybody. This is not necessary, um, you know your mom is like, Hey, what should you do? And you're like, you have to track. Like, it's like, no, you don't need to do that. Right. Like that's not, that maybe not is not necessary. And that maybe it's not even not necessary. It's probably just not the first step for a lot of people. Is what yeah. I reckon. There's a huge benefit to tracking. Um, and you know, I, I have a lot of clients who track and I think that it is one of the most precise ways you can do things. And I think you learn so much from tracking, but oftentimes for people who are just starting, it can be that very overwhelming um, you know, thing where they don't necessarily need that uh, to start. So I really learned like, hmm, okay, there's people who are getting positive responses from the meal plan. So maybe they're not as bad as I thought. And then there's people who are really struggling with the macros. And this is, this is something to take into consideration. And then after, but I was like, okay, well, let's see what happens afterwards, right? Like this is going to be telling of what, you know, the big bad diet, like what did it do, you know, in these 10 weeks. And um, again, I, I think that limitations wise, there was not enough time for us to see like huge fall offs mentally with food, right? Like when you think of somebody really struggling with a meal plan, why are they struggling with it? Well, they're getting to 10% body fat or lower, right? Like for a female or somebody, right? Like you're getting super, super lean. If you're on this rigid meal plan for prep, you know, you have this, you have no substitutions whatsoever. And you also have somebody, typically a coach or somebody in your life who is saying, Hey, you need to eat this because I said, so no substitution. So there's a lot of different factors in play versus this situation where I'm like, Hey, here's this flexible meal plan. I said, no choices on this meal plan. And you get, you're doing it because you want to do it. And I'm not yelling at you for it. So there was like, I didn't expect to see the same issues, but I was just interested. Okay. Are we going to see big differences here? Um, so that was kind of what I went into it with. I went in, oh, macros are great. It's, it works for most people. 
so let's see what happens with this meal plan. And I, I learned very quickly, oh, I'm very naive and this is not what everybody needs to be doing. <laughs> um, and it was actually really cool to see, and to, to be able to talk to those people because it was basically like I coached these people. Right? I didn't, I, I hate using that word. Um, I use, I'm using the word coach as a way of like learning and like communicating, but I'm not mean, like I wasn't coaching them necessarily. So I need to come up with a better word, <laughs> but it basically felt like I had these people for like, it's like six month period yeah. almost like as like a client, like, how are you doing? What's going on? I just got to track their progress. So it was really, really cool. I wasn't coaching them because that would be unethical for the results, but um, you, you know what I'm saying, right? Like you're yeah. picking up on the behaviors and the patterns. So was there out of interest, I guess, how did you monitor whether or not they were just like not sticking to it? Like, are there people who, is this just through results or? So, there were a few times where, um, you know, somebody like their weight would do something like really crazy and you'd be like, there was a few people we had to throw out of the study because okay. of that, right? Like they clearly were not adhering. Um, or like one guy even told us like, yeah, I started doing creatine. And you're like, bro, like, <laughs> can't load creatine in the middle of a diet. Study. You know what I mean? Like, like some people, they wouldn't be affected, but this person happened to be the game, like a bunch of weight. And of course it's all lean body mass. We're like, you, I can't keep these results. You know what I mean? Like at that point we didn't have the, now Campbell has an in-body. So they use, like they can see like the total body water changes, which is really nice, especially because we do a lot of research with females, but we didn't have that then. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we were kind of just like, oh shit, like why did, why did this go up? So if we saw like these crazy numbers, we were definitely cutting somebody out. Um, but that is the thing with free living subjects. You do have to say, hey, please do this. Um, the same thing, we, we weren't able to, uh, we didn't have the lab staff in order to control training or cardio. So we said, hey, um, don't change anything and just yeah. tell us how many minutes you're doing of this. And, you know, of course there's drawbacks with that, right? Um, but also there were people who I had, like a lot of times when research does control the training, those are all university students. So for a lot of the people that I had, they weren't students, you know, and they had jobs and they had to go. I had a, I had a friend who came all the way from Tallahassee to do this. You know what I mean? So I couldn't be like, Hey, do you want to train here every week? Like, you know, move down every six months, you know? And of course that was a really extreme example, but there was a lot of people who that would just, that, that would have completely negated yeah. them from the study. So looking back, it's like, could that, would that have been cool to be able to control that a little bit more? Yes. But also then you're going to wipe out different population. So I would say that, um, you know, now there would probably be a better way that we could monitor that like more frequent kind of dietary logs. Um, and again, they have a staff now, the whole lab is, is run with like 20 some people. So um, they even have like, what they call like diet, like the nutrition coaches um, on there to help out. So it's just very different. But with us, it, we were like, like in over our heads, like we can't yeah. <laughs> do this. So um, we had to go off of their three-day food logs that they sent us and like, hey, this is this good or not? That's what we, that's what we were using. And then also, um, you know, if we saw any outstanding changes, there were a few people that we had to drop, um, but we weren't, we didn't make adjustments in the diet phase. We, we talked about okay. that. Hey, if somebody's not losing, should we? And we were like, it's just, it's just too much, you know? So we said, we're, we're keeping this amount for everybody the same. Like whatever you start with is what you're doing the whole diet. Um, cause again, it was only 10 weeks, but it was a yeah. longer diet. We probably would have changed it. Um, but yeah, they're, 
that is one of the tough things with research. You have to hope that people are actually doing it. And, yeah. Uh, I always refer to the Matador study. I just like love how they were able to give all of the food. Like that's so awesome. Um, but again, that's a, that's a different, that's a different yeah, thing. Like that would yeah. be different that we wouldn't have been able to do a macro tracking study if we were giving them the food, cause that would have been a meal, right? So it's always something. <laughs> Actually, I think I was just trying to think cause- um... Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. From the paper, I think I said, saw that two people actually, two more people dropped out of the flexible group than the meal plan group. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts to, I guess it's only two, it's maybe not big enough yeah, to- Yeah, it, it could have been, you know, the one hypothesis was that it's, it was harder to start if those people didn't have that background. Um, but I, I, nothing really stands out. Like, I think we wrote that in there, like, yeah, like it could have been this, but um, I think it was just random chance yeah. that more people did. Um, and that number really isn't that significant. No. And it's, it is funny. Like when we started, Campbell was very like, you have to get all these people because half of them are going to drop out. I'm like, oh, I tried to do my first study. Like what? Why does everyone want to drop out? But you know, it, you know, we started with, you know, uh, 39 and then like, that's how many people signed the like consent form, did the whole thing. And then by the end we had 23 and that's a pretty standard dropout, you know, like okay. it's going to be, it's going to be pretty normal for, especially the longer the research is right and like what you're asking people to do and even though the post diet we weren't asking them to do a lot we still had to come back you know so yeah. people just didn't come back they did the diet and they're like peace like <laughs> that's really where we lost the most people was they didn't want that's to crazy that yeah you get a free diet get your body calm down you know <laughs> so it happens <laughs> but i was like damn you you don't have to do anything just yeah. like show up <laughs> the only other thought i had was uh, i wonder if well, what did the, do you remember kind of what the diet plan looked like when you were, or the meal plan? You, was it like yeah. pretty normal? It was like normal. I think we have a sample in the excerpt paper, like right here. Um, I probably missed it. <laughs> no, it's fine. It, I could be wrong. I'm, you know, when you read something a hundred times and then you like, can't remember a detail. Here we go. Yeah. So is that, it actually is in there. This was like a sample, you know, breakfast, egg whites, eggs, avocado, spinach, toast, you know, like fucking fruit. Okay, chicken, potato, broccoli, almonds, yogurt, peanut butter, berry. Like, it was basically three meals and a snack. Ground okay. beef, lettuce, ground rice. Like, you know, just kind of normal food because yeah. we didn't want it to be something where obviously we weren't having extravagant meals because that, you know, first of all, college budget. Um, second of all, we don't know if these people know how to cook. Um, and then third, like, it just want to keep it as as easy as possible. So it was very what you would consider basic food, but it was by no means um, like tilapia, asparagus, yeah. here. You know, it was- Fish and rice cake. <laughs> yeah, it was actually food uh, like that we would all, honestly, probably what I would normally eat now. Yeah. Right? Like it's just a li like literal um, just meal plan. It was probably similar to what a lot of the, the flexible, oh, actually, I don't know. Cause again, back in the yeah. day, <laughs> flexible dieting, everybody was doing crazy shit Great, with yeah. their macros. So I don't, I actually don't know, but yeah, it was pretty just basic, which sounds great. You know, that's kind of how I would probably say, well, you definitely right now, cause you're prepping, but like, even me, like I eat pretty basic stuff. And then, but those few meals a week that I go out and I enjoy stuff and like go out to eat or whatever, like that's where that more flexibility kind of yeah. comes in. And when you're on that plan, you don't have any of that. So that kind of does get a little bit old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was basic. It's interesting to hear it just because, yeah, I guess 
some of the people at that time probably who were following meal plans, it was probably like, I don't know, their coach was telling them to eat things. And it's like, I, I hate whatever that fish or whatever it is. And it's like, when it's something like that meal plan, that sounds like, like you said, it sounds like the, just the foundation of what everyone's diet should kind of look like. And that's where I've argued a lot now, well, not argued, but not in like a mean way, but like my whole point of what flexible dieting should look like is we, we swung so far the other way that we forgot what like a healthy diet looks yeah. like in the name of tracking macros. And that is what I think, you know, we really need to work on now as a kind of community. <laughs> There's a lot of things, but that is one of the main things. And it's just, wasn't being talked about enough and kind of since like 2019, I've been like, really need to talk about this. And I'm really glad that we didn't publish the paper until now because I was actually able to add in I made it very clear, like it's like abundantly clear my position on all of that, like to where the point was like Campbell tried to like take one part out and I was like, nope, <laughs> keep it in. I don't want people to read this and not understand that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it should be crystal clear that dietary, like flexible restraint does not equal IFYM. It yeah. can, but it doesn't always. So, um, but we can get into that. Uh, yeah, so sure. as far as the results go, um, pretty much, I mean, everybody lost body fat, like all the normal measurements happened as far as, um, you know, body comp changes you would expect in a calorie deficit. So pretty much across the board, there was no changes except for, you know, positive body composition changes, which cool, that rocks. Um, that's exciting. And most people lost mostly body fat because protein was high in both groups. And we've seen this repeatedly in other research. When you keep protein high in some of these resistance training, they're going to do a better job at maintaining lean body mass. We all know these things, but again, this is definitely one of those things where, especially, you know, back then people were actually questioning the efficacy of uh, macro tracking. Like does, this doesn't work. It's like, it does like, you know what I mean? Like it does work. That's how numbers uh, operate. Um, but so we were able to show that. And then as far as afterwards, um, again, everybody kind of gained similarly. Um, but the one difference that was, was pretty interesting, um, was that lean body mass increased in the flexible group. Um, and that was definitely a, like, it was a, a significant difference. It wasn't just like, oh, a small one. It was like, like we went over it like a million times. We were like, because everything, especially in the in the, the diet phase had been like nothing, 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 which was still exciting to, yeah. to us. Like, okay, cool. Like there's no difference. And then we're like this stark change, like, whoa. And we went back and we like, we looked at everything. We looked at, okay, um, the diet logs. What did, what did they say? Um, was there any statistical differences really there? Um, was there differences time spent training, differences time spent cardio, um, differences in the, you know, eating inventory, like all these different things. And there really wasn't that much. And, you know, we, we went back and forth about this so much um, and, you know, consulted other people. I talked to Eric Helms about this a lot. Um, and we just thought, okay, well, maybe I really just, I just started to chalk it up to like, whatever, there's no differences here. And, um, the one thing I actually, he wrote about it in mass, um, this past, uh, I think it was this past month. Yeah. And of course, Eric always has a, has a great take. And I'm like reading this and I'm like, this motherfucker, like I, how did I not think of it? You know, like when you're so close yeah. to the problem, you can't like, you can't get away from it. So he made a really great point. And, and again, I don't hang my hat, my hat, why did I say this word, my hat? I don't hang my hat on this, like finding it all. To me, if it, if nobody ever replicated it again, like it's okay. 
Um, but it was a pretty striking thing to see, like, why is this? So his his uh, hypothesis, which actually I think is, is a one that makes a lot of sense. So when the people were in the meal plan group, they didn't have to track, right? Like when they were doing their dietary recalls, they were just doing their dietary recalls and that was it. Whereas the people who were tracking macros, presumably, uh, were tracking every day. So when we're asking them for a three-day food recall, it's probably pretty accurate. So when we looked afterwards with the three-day food logs and we actually saw that what people were reporting, remember how you said, like, how do you know if they're actually doing this? Yeah. What they were reporting in the rigid group, they were barely eating anymore, but they gained some body fat. So you're like, that's kind of weird. Whereas the 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 uh, flexible dieting group, it actually like was pretty on par. Like they said they increased by this much and their weight increased. Okay, that, that kind of lines up. So his his reasoning was that likely there was just probably reporting errors as far as um, you know why we would see the, the mismatch between lean body mass and all that because the the rigid group really wasn't used to like the tracking and like the dietary recall. So I was like, oh, that that actually makes a lot of sense. So again, it's one of those things that maybe not, maybe it is, maybe like there could have been a lot of reasons. Um, There was small differences. Like if you look at the actual numbers, as far as like resistance training versus cardio, there were small differences, but they weren't significant. But if you just looked at them, you know, how does that add up over time? It's one of those things that um, when, when you look at research and you think of statistically significant, we're saying with 95% confidence, we know this doesn't mean that there's not responses that are on every end. So you also have to take that into consideration too. Like when you're looking at stuff, um, you know, just because it says there's no difference. Well, there could have been differences for certain people, right? Some people lost a lot of fats, people barely lost any. doesn't mean that the diet didn't work. It just meant that there was a varied responses. So it's one of those things that it was an interesting finding and, um, you know, it could have been, there's a lot of reasons that it could have been that way, but it was really, what I came away with it was, wow, this is cool. There, there weren't really any differences and it really spoke to where somebody is at in, in their journey and what did they need. And that's really what I learned the most from it as far as well, two things. That was like earliest what I learned for like from a coaching perspective um, going forward with clients was like, all right, I need to be a little bit more flexible with my methods and actually understanding where the client is at. Um, because not every, at that, at that point, I was getting people who were just like, I don't want to do meals anymore. I want to track macros. Like, cool. Okay. But as you expand and as you work with more people, you start to recognize that not everybody is this like monolith who's reaching out to you. Right. Um, like they're not all these cookie cutter versions of themselves. And I started working with a lot of different people who had a lot of different backgrounds and different goals. And especially now that we've, you know, opened up the team, I have three coaches who work for the team as well. We work with a lot of different people who have different goals. So to say this is the only approach would be really misguided. Yeah. What the only other thing I could think of, I don't know if this is something you maybe even thought of was like the flexible diet has got that kind of education where they understood the importance of protein and Yes. So they kept that up, whereas the meal planners were just like, oh, I'm going to go back to my carb meals or whatever. And they dropped their yeah, protein. I think it something. definitely came down to, um, you know, just kind of overall education. That's, that's, yeah. the, that's the message that, you know, we should be sending as far as people in this space, you know, depending on no matter what type of diet that you want to engage in, you should be trying to develop competency with the type of diet that you're eating. And it, for a lot of people, if you start out with a meal plan, that's great. 
Um, but it can't just stop there. You know, it has to go, okay, maybe meal plan to then self-created meal plan yeah. to then um, tracking habits. You know, we're really big on our team about tracking habits. And, and it's like, it's funny, we kind of said, going back to that, like basic meal plan, some people, I started recognizing this when I would, I would have clients who were hitting their targets. And then I'd, I'd be like, yeah, just send me like what you're eating in a day. And I'm like, oh my God, like horrified, you know, like, like absolutely horrified. Like, wh- why is this a meal? Why, why are you eating like this? Um, and Pick a mix like, of oh, foods. <laughs> just, just random ass foods, random times. And, you know, when you're tracking your macros, you can do that, right? Like you, it, it all adds up at the end of the day. And that's true. And that's certainly better than just haphazardly overeating. Um, but it's certainly not optimal. And it's not really going to teach you what to do in a situation um, where you need to be really flexible and you actually need to, because the same issues are going are gonna to come up, right? So um, that that's really where I, afterwards, I started to recognize more, like I said, kind of in that 2019 time period was all of the issues that supposedly were stemming from meal plans and rigid dieting were the same exact problems I was seeing with tracking macros, same exact problems. And, and I'll, I'll give Eric Helms is one of the only other people who really talks very loudly about this as well. Um, and it, it's, it's a very complicated topic. It's not complicated, but it's complicated to get across in a way that makes sense because it sounds like when you say, you know, Hey, tracking macros is really rigid. You need to work on your flexibility. Then everybody goes, oh, okay, I'll just intuitively eat and do whatever I want. No, it's not what I said either. Right. Like that's now we're swinging to the whole other pendulum yeah. as well, which is a totally different conversation. <laughs> and it's like, all right, why don't we get back here? <laughs> the problem with tracking macros is there can be a lot of problems, but one thing is that you basically give away your authority over your food and just give it to these numbers or this food scale or this tracking app. And you're not actually aware of what you're eating and how to put together meals that make sense, right? Like when you look at, when we looked at that meal plan, like that makes sense. Like that's how we should all kind of be eating three protein meals and like a snack with protein, like, cool, good to go. Like super easy. Not just like eating all this random food and like logging it as you go. And then at the end of the day, you're like, should I drink oil to hit my protein, like, hit my fat? And then like, I might have a, like a few grams of protein. You're like, what? Like, we need to get back to like actually using the macros as, as a way to teach us how to eat, how much we need, how we can be flexible, but also still have that in the course of like a normal daily life. Um, and really why I started seeing this was as I started working with more lifestyle clients or people who maybe had competed for a long time and maybe weren't sure if they wanted to compete again. I started to recognize, and even competitors too, I started to recognize that people could not, not track um, and if they didn't track, they would just completely crumble and like fall apart. And I was like, Ooh, this is, that's not, that's, this is not what we want. This is not normal. Um, this is not how I want anybody to be living. You know what I mean? And this, this doesn't have to, this isn't an adherence thing. This isn't somebody who's like, I need to be perfectly adherent. This was somebody who was saying, I don't know what to eat if I can't track it. And I'm saying you have you've been tracking food for five years and you don't, you don't, you're telling me you don't know how to go out to a restaurant and order a meal that would roughly hit your targets. And I, I've encountered more people in that situation than not. Like it's, it's not just a one-time thing. This was very, very common. So prevalent, not just with my clients, but other people that I knew too. And I was like, man, we really need to do something about this. Like this is, this is really like, what's important because it it all roots back to the same issue then it roots back to you have an incredibly rigid mindset you're very black and white and instead of your black and white thinking is not about your the meal the foods you can eat 
It's about the macros that you can hit. So same, they're basically interchangeable at that yeah. point. And now you're going back to the root of why we tried to get away from this, which was all of the yo-yo dieting and the negative relationship with food. Um, and when we look at the research and we see, okay, why is, why is flexible restraint so much better? It's about moderation. It's about less impulsivity. It has um, you know, better long-term body maintenance control, all these types of things. Well, that's not going to be there if you can't leave the food scale or leave your food tracking app um, or those three numbers to rest every once in a while. So that was what I really decided, like, wow, this taught me so much. Um, and like I said, that was what I tried to get abundantly clear <laughs> in the paper because I did not want anybody coming away with that and just going, oh, got to track macros to have a better body count. Like, yes, but ta -ta -ta, there is more to this story. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so true that what, because the meal plan, the problem was just like, I have to eat these foods at these times or what have you. And then that essentially got replaced by, I have to hit these numbers no matter what. And like, it's a problem if I don't. It's like you need, it's both a lacking that education where it needs to all come together, which is what you're essentially describing. And then they're all different tools in like your diet toolkit, essentially. That's what and you hope, I guess. With the meal plans, I, I think it really is a lack of education, right? Or, or not even just a meal plan, but let's say like a, a diet, right? Like a diet plan. Um whole 30 or paleo i mean i guess paleo is like the best if you're going to pick one but keto whatever you know what i'm saying like a very restrictive type diet whether it's a meal plan or certain food or a type of diet um that can be a lack of education because you're only focused on those things and you don't know what else to do in other situations um when you've been tracking macros and you have an understanding of what's in food if you're not applying that you're simply scared to apply that information you are, you don't trust yourself to actually apply that. Um, you don't trust yourself to look at a plate and go, okay, there's about this many carbs, about this many fat, there's about this much protein. And you can't trust yourself to say, I, I can, I can confidently say that no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, I can make the best choice for my certain goals because of all the tracking knowledge that I have. Doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect. I am not saying that every, because people are in tough situations with food. Like I've been plenty of places where you're like, fuck this, this is going to be rough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but we're going to make do and you don't make a bad situation worse by not using your education um, and not using all the skills that you've built up. You say, okay, what can I add here? What can I maybe limit here? And I think that it's just it, people give too much control away to the food and they don't recognize that they are fully in control of what they want to eat or what they don't want to eat. Yeah, it's, uh, I definitely see that where it's a case of people have that like black or white mentality. So I'm either on the plan or I'm off the plan. And that's what I think it may have even been Eric that introduced kind of the dimmer switch analogy of like, you can be yeah. more or more like more on mm -hmm. or less on um, and yeah. what have you. So uh, I think that's really cool. And actually uh, an interest, interesting discussion you had with Bill on your podcast was he described that he actually likes, like he tracks for life. And you're kind of having this like discussion of if someone just heard that, they might think that sounds completely terrible, but it actually depends on how that person's kind of implementing it and whether or not, like you said, they've got the skill set in addition yes. to that. And I think it, you know, this is where when somebody says, yeah, I, I track stuff and, and I, so I always try to use myself as an example because I, I know the most about myself and what I do, right? And people will be like, okay, well, what, how do you eat if you're not tracking? 
what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean? I'm not, I'm not putting it. First of all, I never use food app tracking app because fuck that, but <laughs> I want technology all day. I don't want to plug food into that even. So I'm like a caveman. I do everything like by hand. So just, we'll just keep that out of the conversation. But um, for me, I'm still sitting down and saying, okay, I'm going to have at least three meals with protein, ideally a fourth, just so I can have a higher protein total, um, whether that's a snack or something, whatever protein shake can have three protein meals and probably a fourth. I'm going to try to aim and have around this much protein per meal. Um, if the protein is higher in fat, I'm not going to add any fats because I do better with higher carbs, lower fat. Um, I'm going to try to have roughly this many fruits and vegetables per day. I'm going to moderate my portions. And when I decide that I don't want to do that, I'm consciously making the decision that, nope, this is what I wanted today, or this is what I wanted in this meal. And then I move forward. I still prep meals. I still weigh certain things just, you know, out of habit and also just to make sure I'm hitting a certain threshold. But there's, I've poured egg whites for 10 years. You know, I don't need to measure that exactly anymore because I'm not competing. If I was competing again, for sure I would do that. Um, I can look at what's four ounces of cooked chicken. Okay, got it. And it's about using those tools. Now, if I, am I 100% bang on every day? No. Uh, Do I choose to eat certain things? you know, that are maybe like not the most nutritious sometimes, or do I choose some days to just, I get really busy and I don't eat as much. Yeah. Um, but in general, every time I sit down, I'm thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to have. And I, I go out of my way to prep food about twice a week to make sure that I have this. Um, even I'm at my office, I have a whole lunchbox of food that I've tacked. You know what I mean? Like, it's just very simple things that that's how I'm able to track for life. I'm not necessarily tracking yeah. three targets perfectly, but I'm not just eating whatever I want. And I think that that's where the discussion really needs to go is, okay, well, what's after like life after this. And that's really what, um, you know, we try to, to work with clients on. And for some people that does look like tracking during the weekend, not tracking on the weekends, um, just because it's a little bit easier for them. Um, mostly let's say people are really busy with work. I work with a lot of people who are doing crazy shit for work. Um, and you know, their doctors and their pharmacists and they're in flight school and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, you, you gotta be pretty structured. Right. But whether that's habits, macros, yeah. meal timing, whatever we deem, whatever works for you. And we say, okay, like for some, I have a client at flight school, like it's crazy. Okay. Let's try to at least get these, these three times a day. We're getting this in and we got to try to hit water and do this, right? Like it's not going to be perfect, but it's something, um, you know, talking about a competitive client, it's a different story, but that should be, that should go without saying. Um, you're trying to have a very extreme result. You're going community track. Um, but during the week, I find that for most people, having that structure is really useful um, because you do otherwise slip into kind of like those bullshit yeah. habits that we all do. Like, oh, I'll just go out and I'll eat this or like, oh, I'll just go grab that. And I'll just, no, if we don't have some type of restraint, we're going to fall into those negative habits. Um, and that's kind of when you look up and you're like, oh shit, like I need to, I need to reel this in. So if you really want to like, if you want to maintain with l- little effort, you still need to prep and plan things and have a game plan for the week. Um, and even on the weekends, I'm not saying like the weekend or just like do whatever, but there's typically obviously more laxity, like you might sleep in, or maybe, you know, you go like I, I train and go to jujitsu on Saturdays when I'm home. So I have a large span of time where I'm probably not eating. So I have a bigger breakfast, kind of like an awkward meal and then a big dinner or I might go out like, right. So there's going to be flexibility there, but it's just really important for people to recognize that you're probably going to be tracking something or some combination of things for forever. If you want to have optimal body composition, health, performance, all of that. Um, But we have to kind of move past this obsessive 
um, neurotic tracking that doesn't allow you to, to navigate life. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. Yeah, I think actually a really easy example I remember seeing sometimes is like, even in contest prep, I don't think that you may have a different opinion to this, but in contest prep, like hitting specific numbers like, don't know, 202 protein or like 36 fats or something. It's like that level of, and if you want to just follow a meal plan, if you're going to want to be that precise, I think like things like that, it's like you're saying, and you can have ranges. And then like you said, you can move away to habits and there's, it's like, and you can go in between all those things, right? And that's the cool part about it is once you have that baseline of education, um, you can easily move between them. Now, I don't mean to downplay this because it's not easy right away. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've had an eating disorder. I mean, it was many years ago, but I have that background. A lot of clients I work with either have had eating disorders or they've had just disordered eating or they've just been through the ringer, you know, with all this, you know, tracking, competing, all this type of stuff. So there's a lot of issues and typically food issues are, are other issues, right? And they just kind of come out in, in food. So um, there's a lot of things unpacked there. So I'm not trying to say that this is so easy. Uh, this took me many years to be able to do and to moderate myself, um, but it took time. And the only way I was able to actually learn how to moderate myself was to actually do it and to fail and to go through it. And that's what we do with clients. And it's and it's a shitty process because I hate to be like, yeah, we'll throw you to the wolves and then like come back and tell me what fucked up and then we'll adjust it for next time. And then like, hopefully it's like less of a fuck up. And then we'll eventually get to a point where we can handle this like no problem, but it does take that. And you do have to be willing to confront those issues. Um, and it's not going to go away overnight. And, you know, there's many clients who, who pick it up like that. Oh, sure. Untracked meal. Got it. Oh, I, I don't have to track uh, this week. Okay, great. Or, oh, I got back on it. No problem. Right. Like that going in between those, it can be very seamless for some people, but other people, it takes a lot longer. Um, and the answer, in my opinion, is not to cling tighter to tracking. Um, and I think that that is just, yeah, the fallacy of when, when, when I might say, let's, you know, let's be more flexible with our tracking, that doesn't mean that it's just eat whatever. But when somebody's telling me they can't, you know, if they get s- sprung on them, hey, uh, all the coworkers, like, we're going to lunch today or whatever, or like, oh, significant others, like, let's go out to dinner. And you can't moderate that because you're not going to be able to hit your targets. This is where it's starting to like run into your, your life and to really affect you. So that's what I want people to be able to handle. Uh, And I think that even if you are prepping and I'm, I'm big on this, like when I was prepping, like I would be eating out. I mean, I just had to travel a lot. So it's like, I learned, like there was no other option. I had to be flexible. You know what I mean? And I wasn't going, I always say this, like, I'm not going out of my way to, to eat out or to like, be to estimate, but I had to do it. You know what I mean? And it's still, you know, still worked. So I think that it's just about, you know, again, you have that choice. Like you can always make the choice whether you want to or not, you can get, you know, grilled fish or chicken and veggies. Like it might not be fun, but you can still do it. So that's where I think we need to just take that back um, and say, okay, Let's really be realistic with our habits and our relationship with food. Um, And this is where we're going to see the lifetime sustainability. And everybody likes to say, oh, macros are are much more sustainable. They are until they become a crutch. And then we have to move past it and say, okay, this is a tool and it's sustainable for life because it's a tool. Um, 
but we can't just say like, if, you know, if, if I took somebody's my fitness pal away or their food scale and they don't know how to eat now, that's, that's no longer a sustainable tool. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's because uh, for me personally, I'm probably very, well, I'm basically what Bill is like, I, I like tracking. It gives me that confidence that I know I'm nailing things. Uh, but it's like you say, if I'm on holiday or if I'm going to like a friend's or like I'm eating dinner at my girlfriend's, it's not, <laughs> I don't kind of unpack my food scale or take it with me like on the plane. It's a case yeah. of, I know kind of like, I can look at it and be like, okay, yeah, I need for my goal. I need this, 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 that'll roughly be about what I need to do. So, and like you said, it, it does take time to get there. Like, especially for a prepper, like first prep, if you're just going into it, you probably yeah. eating out is probably a nightmare, but for like yourself, you've been for doing sure. it for long yeah. enough where you can do that. So any it's, skill. Yeah. It's all about, okay, where, where are you in your journey? Right. And like for, for Campbell's example, when he was saying, you know, like I, I use this as a way to kind of hold myself accountable. And I think that's great. And I think that that is, and, but I, I prompted him and I said, cause I know he had just gone away and I said, yeah, but on that week away, like it, you weren't in this mentally distressed place because yeah. you couldn't track or you didn't completely lose sight of, every healthy habit that you would ever build. That's where it becomes a problem. I am so on board with people using it as a tool consistently. And like I said, we have so many clients who do that consistently, right? Um, so it's not like I'm like anti-macro tracking uh, by any means whatsoever. I am just against the idea that it is this crutch yeah. and that you can't let go of that and you can't actually be flexible with your yeah. intent. Um, so that's where I think the next move really is for people, because that, that is what sustainability is have, yeah. keep checks and balances, like keeping yourself in check, having the systems in place to do that, whatever that looks like for you. Um, but then also being able to moderate yourself, um, and not say, oh, I'm on vacation. So I'm either going to be a total mess. Cause I don't know what's in this or fuck it. Going to gain 10 pounds because I'm eating everything in sight. Yeah. And we've all been on both ends, of, not everybody, but many people have been on both ends of that. And it's, it's really rough. Um, and it's really great when I get clients who are like, yeah, I went away this weekend and I was able to like moderate myself. And then I came home and I got right back on it and everything's great. Like, it's yeah. just, that is so rewarding um, because that's real life, you know, like a boring Wednesday. Yeah. Pack your food, prep your shit. Like, I don't, like, you don't need to be off plan for that day. You know what I mean? But like that, like, there's going to be times in your life where you're not doing that. And I want you to be prepared yeah. for that. Yeah, I think it. What, something you said previously was like, there's if you want to like optimize body composition results, there's going to be some sort of restraint that has to be there because I, I do see people who are like, oh, I, they, they wrongly interpret like intuitive eating, and like, oh, I can get optimal body composition through eating what I like, and, and it's like, we no, can touch it's on that. Not going to happen. <laughs> um, that is like a whole uh, can of worms, uh, but I am like again it's always interesting what like when you say phrases and everybody takes them differently right and this goes for not just diet stuff this goes for like everything in life right you could say a certain phrase and you're like what is this image invoke you know what i mean and then it's just like ah like there's going to be different people on every side who have like feelings about it so intuitive eating has taken on this very interesting meaning um for a lot of people not everybody but for a certain subset of people and um you know what what's so frustrating in my estimation is that it typically ends up hurting the people who really need the most help because the people who are saying, Oh, just eat what you want. Like, you know, just, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. There are people like me and you, like, if I were just be like, just eat whatever you want. Like it works for me. 
yeah, I've been doing this for so many years. Like I like I've literally done diet research. Like I went to school for all this. Like I've coached people for years. I've been through my whole own journey. And for me to say something like that is so disrespectful to people who don't have that food education for me to expect them to know what I know. Yeah. Just eat whatever you want. Like it works. No, that is not appropriate whatsoever. And the people who are saying this often have the most education on this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That is not okay. Because there are plenty of people in this world who still do not know what they should and shouldn't be eating. Of course, I, there was always that argument, like people know what they should eat. Yes and no, right? There's still a lot of misinformation out there. Um, there's still, you know, a lot of bad marketing tactics, right? You know, you can slap the word keto on something yeah. and people are like, yay. And like, you're like, are you keto? You know, like it, it, it's just, there is a lot of miseducation out there. And for people who don't, it's just like any topic. We love this stuff. This is what we do. There's other things in life that I don't love. I don't love taxes. I don't think I'm really excited, but <laughs> right. Like I don't know all the ins and outs of that. So I'm not going to yeah. be like, somebody could totally, totally steer me in the wrong direction. You know what I mean? With taxes. And I might not know what's going on. I could see some cool marketing. I mean, I truly know enough about marketing, but like, that sounds too good to be true, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like we're so in this that we're like, nobody would fall for that. Everybody knows this stuff. No, not everybody knows this stuff. There are a lot of people who do not understand basic nutrition concepts and us just telling them that they should just eat whatever they want. And that's going to get them, you know, free from this, like this diet culture, which is a whole nother word. Right. Um, it's just, I think it's very, very, uh, just it's misinformed. It's miss. It, it just really isn't the right approach. And I think that we need to have just a much more nuanced approach to that conversation. Um, and again, I'm clearly somebody who doesn't support, we need to track food 24 seven. You know what I mean? Uh, obviously we just had a whole podcast on this. Um, but I think that it's important to recognize that, um, for health, like not even let's take physique and performance out of the equation, just for health. There are certain things that you should be prioritizing and certain things that you should be limiting. It's just the way that it goes. And we can't get around that. That's just thermodynamics. And that's just how our bodies are like, it's just, you can't drink a gallon of soda a day and not exercise and not eat protein and expect to like have a great, you know, health markers. Like, it's just not going to happen. I don't care how much you want it to happen. So I, and I know the people out there who are promoting intuitive eating aren't just saying, sit around and drink Coke. I'm not trying to, to say that, but you, you get what I'm, getting at like it just feel like it's very um it can be very misinterpreted and i think that we just need more nuance in that conversation uh in order to and we really need to just you always have to take a step back um from how much you know and you can't just apply that lens to everybody uh you can't say oh because i know these things everybody else should be expected to they might but they also might not yeah, I think it it reminds me of kind of, I don't know, you see some jack dude or female who they're doing some training that is maintaining the physique they've got, but it's not got them to that physique. And they're like, oh, yeah, I train only three days a week and blah, blah, blah. And they're like selling a program that's like, oh, yeah, you don't need to do very much to get to this. It's like you're kind of removing the whole journey that got you here. <laughs> like it's very different. Yeah. And maintaining is is much easier everybody knows maintaining is so much easier once you've kind of gotten there. Um, but we can get caught up in that. We can, it's so easy to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm already here. Like I, 
I know how to eat out all the time. I know how to do this. Like I can, I can, I can get away with not training. I could, but that's not everybody else, you know, yeah. and that's certainly not people who, who don't have a background who are just getting started. Um, you know, was somebody an athlete growing up and then they, you know, consistently worked out or have they been sedentary for most of their life and now they're 40 and reaching out to you? Totally different conversation. You know what I mean? And I think that we just need to, um, just provide more nuance and context to everybody whenever we're talking about these kinds of things. And it's really tough, especially on something like social media, because, you know, on the podcast, we're able to discuss things. And what I love, I've just always loved podcasts because you're able to say things and then, you know, maybe you don't say everything the right way, right? Like there's probably certain things I could listen back to. Like, I didn't want to say that or say it that way. Yeah. But ultimately it's just like long form dialogue, right? And you just kind of get all the information out there and you're able to kind of um, there's been times where I've been on podcasts and I said something and I'm like, wait, that's not what I meant. Like here, let's re let's redo this. Right. And I think that's important because on, on social media, whether it's any kind of these apps, it's so high dopamine and yeah. so like short-term attention that everybody needs the thing that like, is going to get that attention, right. Whether it's like the seven second clip or this crazy thumbnail or this, like, you know, this graphic that says this really controversial thing. And like, that's what hooks people. Right. Um, but you're not able when you have nuance, when you provide nuance on there, people really don't want to dive into it, which is why if you look at a lot of scientists and people who are just highly nuanced, like what do they mostly do? They're mostly on podcasts right? yeah. where they're writing um, so they can get all of their information out there. And it's, I, I get it because again, something like, I don't give a fuck about taxes. I mean, again, I do, but like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not going to spend my life. I'm not going to dedicate my life to learning about taxes. So I'm going to hire a CPA and I'm going to hire a team of people who are going to help me. But they, you know, at some point I have to say, okay, I need to know enough so that I can see if they're actually doing a good job. <laughs> right. And I can't just be sensate going to them because they're sensationalizing things. But a lot of people find that themselves in the situation. Like, I don't know much about this. I don't really want to learn. I'll just go to whatever sensationalized, whatever's popular search. And then they end up in the situation where it's, it is lacking nuance. Um, and it, that's just the world that we live in. So yeah. I think that it's important to have these discussions <laughs> and hopefully things start to change because the, the big swings are just like, it, it's so common in the industry, of course, yeah. but um, I don't think it's, I, I think it is doing a disservice to a lot of people who need need that help. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, my uh, dog is starting to get wound up. There's a dog outside barking. Oh. I'm like, stop, stop getting wound up. Uh, I just, I think a really good take home from at least that discussion there for me is I think some people might leave that and they might, I don't know. If there is anyone they're feeling like, oh, lost, what should I do? Like, what what should I pick? Intuitive eating, tracking. And the, the kind of whole point of that discussion was there isn't something, there isn't one thing. It's a case of like using the tool that is appropriate to you and your goals now. And I think as well, education. So maybe reading like the, the ebook, I don't know if that ebook is available to, for people to buy as well, but something like that, if they're listening and they're like, I have no idea what macros are or something, then yeah. getting that baseline education, that's kind of the starting point. And then getting an understanding of, oh, it's not just like calories and macros, there's composition and timing, which influences everything as well. And uh, yeah, I just think that the, the great thing with the paper is it showed that like there are different tools that are going to work. You don't need to like pick one and say like, this is the dogmatic thing that we, everyone has to follow. Yeah. And that's the hard answer. That's the not exciting answer, but let's, uh, and that's why people get frustrated with yeah. science. science. Yeah. The science group. They're like, it's always, it depends. There's never an answer. It's always changing. You're like, that's science. Like, that's just how it goes. And I know that it is frustrating. 
um, which is why, you know, like you do a great job of bringing so many awesome people on and having these kinds of discussions. And um, I think what it just highlights again, that there's not one right approach, um, but there, there's a multitude of ways we can get somewhere, but there are certainly basic things that everybody can follow that, you know, are going to produce a lot of results. And then that kind of 20% is where you can decide, all right, how do I want to implement this? What's going to be best for me? Um, and just really focusing on those like big things you can do, uh, you know, training, being active, eating protein, moderating your portions, like those types of things. If you can weave that into really any type of diet um, or way of eating, because that might don't, diet doesn't mean calorie deficit, just what you're eating, you're going to be very successful. Fantastic. And I guess that, I mean, the best way is to get started. So <laughs> yeah, just start. There's, there is never too late of a time to get started on this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I know that it feels, um, it can feel very overwhelming, especially because there are so many people who, um, you know, have these like amazing bodies and you're like, oh my God, I'll never look like that. Or I'll never. And it's like that, or, you know, you see somebody who's like a crazy athlete and you're like, I could never do that. Well, you're probably like, I'll be honest, probably not. Or like, you're, you're probably not going to be that person. And that's totally cool. Um, you have to recognize, okay, what do I want to do? What do I want to start working towards? Um, and how is this going to benefit me? Like I started doing jujitsu almost two years ago. I'm a very slow learner. Like very slow learner just in general, um, especially with like things that are like physical like that. And when I first started, I was going like once a week. So it's not really like I was, you know, going a ton, but I would say like January of like 2020, I started going two to three times a week. And there are people who come in far after me, who are far past me. Um, and, you know, but, you know, there's people who clearly are, you know, high level competitors and all this stuff. And I look at that and I'm like, you know, it, it can be hard because you're like, damn, I should be farther ahead, right? Like, you know, we always think that people who always want more are always thinking I should be farther, I should be farther. And then I have to go, okay, I'm going two to three times a week, sometimes not at all if I'm traveling. Um, this is not my life. I started yeah. later. Like, there's just so many things, right? I, well, I'm not doing this to be like the best, <laughs> like blue belt in the world. Yeah, I'm not even a blue belt yet, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to be this like person. I'm just like, I like this because there's a lot of things that I like about it and I want to do it and I want to progress for me. And that's what I'm going to do. And that can be the same thing um, for anybody listening. So it's, it's just about diving into it and saying, what can I get from this? What is, how is this going to benefit me? Why do I want this? And going back to that, like everybody it sounds so cheesy, but it really is true. Like, why are you going back? Like, why yeah. are you doing this? You need to have that in the forefront of your mind. Is it because man, you got some blood work back and it was pretty sketchy. Like you need to get healthier. Okay. That's an important thing. Uh, do you not have any energy? Can you not focus at work? Can you not perform? Can you not play with your kids? Um, are you starting to notice like age related declines as far as like your physique change and you're just kind of how you're feeling? There's so many different reasons why, or maybe you're like, no, I want to, I want to do something competitive. Like I want to get on a stage or I want to do this photo shoot and, and look a certain way, or I want to do a powerlifting meet or start a, you know, martial arts, whatever it is. Like there's so many reasons why you should get started. Um, and understand that there is going to be a very big learning curve, but that is where the magic is. Like that yeah. learning is what you can actually apply. And no matter what tool you're using as far as diet or training, being able to look back and say, okay, how can I reflect on this and actually learn and apply this for the rest of my life, whether it was a good or a bad thing, <laughs> that's what we want to do. Fantastic. Lauren, thank you so much for this chat. I think it's yeah. been really worthwhile. Hopefully the listeners have taken a lot away from it. If they want to check out your podcast, um, check out your stuff, where should they head? So you can go to teamlocofit.com. We have everything on there. Um, our podcast is called Team Locofit Roundtable and it's on all the podcast platforms. Uh, but basically the website has everything, podcast articles, 
coaching, more about us, books, et cetera. So. Fantastic. And is that, have you got your, is there an e, is there a macro there, tracking it's ebook? It's not that there? ebook, but there okay. is an ebook. It's called Foundations of Food Education. So it's very similar. nice. It's basics of uh, macros, portions, or some meal templates in there, grocery lists, like that kind of stuff. Just awesome. Like a very basic. Um, so yes, that is on our website as well. Cool. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you again, Lauren. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. <laughs>